Blog Talk Radio. Live from Southern California and broadcasting worldwide on Wealth Radio. On Tax Lawyer, prescribing a dose of truth for entrepreneurs. A voice of common sense for the small business owner. And don't get him started on saving taxes. This is the Mark Kohler Show. Mark Kohler Show. Kohler Show. Welcome, everyone, to the Mark Kohler Show today. My name is Matt Sorensen. I am your substitute radio show host today. Um, we're going to have a great time. We have an excellent show laid out today. Um, a very well-known guest and expert in the field on trustee investing, which we will bring up and on later in the show. But uh, I'm excited to be here. Mark is traveling. We'll be speaking at the Entrepreneur Growth Conference tomorrow in Miami. Um, so I am filling in today, as I like to say, as the substitute teacher. But, you know, don't treat me like your typical substitute teacher from elementary school where you, you know, make fun of them and tease them and play pranks on them. Just, uh, you know, go a little easy on me today. So I, uh, as I'm uh, trying to manage this show here, it's always interesting doing the uh, radio show on Mark's out. Always a fun time. But, um I want to go over a couple of deadlines, make sure everyone's there. Obviously, you can get more details from our website and our newsletter, but I want to go over some important announcements we have from the newsletter, uh, make sure everyone's aware of some of these things. If you are not a member of our newsletter or not receiving our newsletter, you can sign up for it on our law firm's website at kkoslawyers.com, kkoslawyers.com. You can sign up for the newsletter there. Um, I have a webinar that I just want to announce next week, February 12th. Um, It'll be in conjunction with First Western Federal Savings Bank and Roger St. Pierre over there. The webinar next week is going to be a very comprehensive and intense webinar. Um, It's only an hour, but it's on a pretty specific subject that has really not got a lot of coverage in in terms of uh, webinars or classes or even books on this subject, but it's buying real estate with your IRA and a non-recourse loan. There's a lot of general information out there that we put this webinar together, and I've been wanting to do this and really get into the nuts and bolts and details, specifics on lending requirements, loan requirements, um, and then we're going to go through the UDFI tax called Unrelated Debt Financed Income Tax, which is a tax that can apply to your IRA when you leverage it with debt. Uh, really specific topic, but we're going to break into um, the details, go over the tax returns, how they work, how much tax would be due on UDFI tax. I'm really excited for it, and it'll be a really informative webinar that will break down some of the myths about can I use an IRA and get a mortgage and how does it really affect me if I buy a property with my IRA and I get a loan to leverage it, we're going to go over all that. Really important subject um, and something that uh, I think everybody really needs to get informed about, particularly if you're self-directing your IRA. So that's announced in the web- in the uh, newsletter. Um, again, that's going to be February 12th. You can sign up for the webinar through the uh, newsletter. If you don't get the newsletter, go ahead and email me, and uh, I can send you the link so you can register for the webinar, and it is free. All right, Mark is speaking. If you're going to be in Miami, Florida, um, good for you. Mark will be speaking there 
tomorrow at the Entrepreneur Growth Conference, as I mentioned. He is actually literally on a plane right now, so um, that is why you got the substitute teacher today. Um, and then I will be speaking in San Diego at the Note Investor Summit um, on February 27th. The event is the 26th through 28th. That is the Note Investor Summit. I'll be speaking on um, using your self-directed IRA to invest in notes and real estate. And again, that's going to be in San Diego. Uh, that's an event you need to register and pay for, though. We do have links and details in the email. That is a um, well-attended and pretty well-known uh, uh, group that meets in San Diego. Um, so it's a and it's a well-run event. So if you're interested in that, that's San Diego, February 26th to. 28th. All right, there are some deadlines coming up just to keep aware of for tax purposes. Um, March 16th, I know I know we're already into February, I can't believe it, but keep in mind March 16th, that is the deadline for S-Corporation and C-Corporation tax returns. So if you're planning to file on the deadline or by the deadline, you need to be pretty actively engaged in your return right now. Those are due Again, on March 16th, you can file a six-month extension. You need to do it before the deadline, though, um, if you're not going to get your stuff in by March 16th for your 2014 S-Corporation or C-Corporation tax return. Um, there are a lot of great newsletter articles um, uh, that are uh, that came out this week on transferring title between a deceased spouse. How do I transfer title if it wasn't in a trust um, to get a deceased spouse's name off title? Mark, that's an article I wrote. Mark also wrote an, wrote an article on um, handshake deals and email deals and how they can cause problems if you're not properly writing up contracts to document your deals. Um, all right. Well, as we have through the format of the show, as we've always done, we have some um, uh, the attorneys and accountants in our office who come on and give legal tips and tax tips. And um, let's go ahead and start with the tax tip. And then I'm gonna, after we get through the tax tip, I think I have Chet here. Um, I'll announce the show and the guest, then we'll get into the legal tip. And um, that should bring us to the bottom of the hour. But um, Chet, are you on? Yeah, I'm on, Matt. Thanks for having me. All right. Well, thanks for being on to give a tip. Um, Chet's one of the accountants at Kohler Air CPAs. And um, I have to say, one of the most loved by clients, you know. That's, that's what I learned at our firm retreat over the summer, that, you know, everybody, all the clients love Chet. So um, I know that's he, right. he's at one of one of the radio show listeners' favorites, too. So, um, well, what do you got for us today on a tax tip? Well, I appreciate the boost in ego, uh, Matt. Uh, I will have you know I am the favorite here. So I try to keep it that way, too. <laughs> clearly, clearly. Um, the, the tax tip I have today is uh, essentially stemmed from some of the issues that we faced here and issues of the 1099 reporting. Um, and yes. a, a lot of times there's a question as to whether or not we should issue one, uh, who should get one, and whatnot. Um, and a lot of times, uh, as accountants, we like to err on the side of conservancy. And uh, most of the time when we receive whether or not these questions, whether or not we should issue them, it's at the time of when we should file them. And, and a lot of times the client doesn't have the necessary information um, to submit to us in time to file it. 
So yeah. it is important that when you're paying an outside contractor or an outside provider for a service of your company, um, I would say I see it quite a lot in the rehab-type sector of, of real estate, you know, among other things. It's very important for you to essentially get a W-9 filled out by that individual prior to even cutting them a check. Um, and by doing that, um, it essentially puts the ball in your court. Um, you know, you can essentially withhold the, the withhold, uh, withhold the payment until you actually uh, receive that W-9. Um, mm-hmm. in, in certain now, what cases, is a W-9? I know, I know you you guys know all those form numbers and everything. What is the, what information does the W-9 give you? What do you, what do you, why do you want that? Absolutely. The W-9, and you can search W-9 in Google and it'll be the first result. Essentially, it's just the information that the contractor provides you to issue the 1099 form to them. So it will it will request, you know, however they're operating, whether it be in, in a business or as an individual, it will list their name, the address of the company, and then their associated uh, tax number, whether it be a Social Security or EIN. Um, it also has them sign it, um, and that essentially gives you the information necessary to, to file the, the return, the, the 1099 forms. Um, in some instances, uh, the, the, if the contractor or the service provider won't require, or they, they won't simply provide or won't complete the W-9, um, the IRS requires you as the payer to withhold tax on that amount, and I think that amounts, I think, around around 28 to 30 percent. Um, so, like I said, you, you do have some recourse when you're when you're talking to a provider, and they won't give you that number. You can say, well, okay, I'll I'll just withhold the 30 percent, send it to the IRS in your behalf, and we'll be good. We don't suggest that. Um, and most times, uh, if you're proactive about it, you can get the W-9. But it's kind of hard to do after you've already, you know, ceased to, to work uh, with them. There's no more relationship, and they already have their money in their hand. Yeah, so maybe at the contracting stage or at the hiring stage, that's a good time to just collect the W-9. And, I, you know, I see that with some of our clients that'll ask for a W-9 from us. Um, you know, some of them ask for them at the end of the year. And that's okay. You know, I think a lot of that happens when you're doing the books and finalizing your year-end books is, you know, going out and making that search of, oh, who do we need W-9s for and and, uh, making sure those get issued. So, um, all right, well, that's uh, very good to know. Now, here's the million-dollar question of um, wasn't this due already and what do I do if I didn't do anything? What Should I worry? Should I not? Should I just like, you know, repent and not sin anymore and don't do this again next year? What's the? What do I well, do if I didn't? I didn't do it for 2014. Right. Um, we we have passed the deadline. It was actually yesterday. We could still issue 1099s. Um, there is a likelihood for assessment of penalties, but I would assume, you know, in most cases they're not terribly aggressive on enforcing those as long as you you submit them. Um, if we don't issue the 1099s, um, I mean, technically you are not allowed to take the expense. So if you ever come to to audit and the, the agent notices that you didn't issue 1099s to those contract employees or to that for that service, um, immediately they'll disallow it. So in my opinion, it's worth filing a little bit late and uh, mm-hmm. making sure that you can deduct it because the benefit from, from the tax deduction is certainly going to outweigh the, any penalty they assess. Yeah. 
where I was in, in our frenzy of getting our, ours done yesterday on some of our real estate companies. So, um, but that's what, you know, you clients out there, I mean, even, you know, if you didn't do it, I, I know you're paying it. Sometimes it's something you just put at the uh, last end and get it done when you need to. Now, um, in terms of collecting the W-9s and from certain providers, uh, you know, you mentioned like a contractor as an example or maybe a service provider. Um, you know, what about like, you know, Home Depot or or a supplier, stuff like that? Are you, I mean, when when should I be worrying about it? How much should I be worrying, you know, how much dollars involved? What are the sure. basics there? Well, uh, essentially, the threshold the threshold for issuance is six hundred dollars or more. So anybody you pay over six hundred dollars, um, any payments that you make through a credit card um, type transaction, you don't necessarily need to worry about, which is typically the case with your big box stores. And in most cases, the big box stores operate as a corporation, and we're not required to issue any. Uh, Uh, 1099s to corporations for services. So you're typically out there. Usually, in the case of 1099 issuance, you're dealing with when you're directly paying checks to an individual or to a business. Yeah, so like I have a rental property and I hire a contractor to do a remodel that's, you know, ABC Contracting LLC. That's what I'm going to need to get a W-9 and do a 1099 for. Absolutely, you're, you're correct. All right. Um, anything else on the 1099 reporting? Nope, nope. That that pretty much should do it, I, I think, for the time being. Certainly, if you have any questions about your specific situation, you know, I encourage you to call and schedule a little bit of time to, to discuss that situation. We can determine what's best for you. All right. What's your contact info, Chet? Sure. Um, you can just reach me here at the uh, general office. It's phone number is 435 eight six five five eight six six. Um obviously because we're in the midst of tax season we'll likely have to schedule an appointment so our uh, calendars meet up. But I'd be happy to talk. All right. Thanks Jeff. Very timely to appreciate it. Anytime Matt you have a good day. Take care. All right, that is Chet Dalton, accountant extraordinaire at Color and Air CPAs. He really is one of the most liked, I'm not kidding, you know, we had a uh, a uh, retreat last year and um they showed some footage from some of the events that we have you know where um mark will speak typically that he took so he got some footage and chet's name kept coming up by all the clients oh chet's so great chet's my accountant he's so great uh it was actually pretty funny so uh so i always tease him about that uh let's move over to lee now and um oh sorry before i do let me just announce the uh the guest and we'll i'll come back and announce um, him more fully, but let me just, you know, uh, I don't mean to like hide the ball or anything. I just forgot to announce the guest before I got to, um, Chet's tip there. I'm still kind of a rookie at this whole thing. So, uh, the, the topic we'll have at the bottom of the hour is, um, how to invest in long-term notes with Bruce Norris. He's a trustee, hard money lending expert. Uh, I'll give you more of his bio in a bit, but, um, he's very well known, um, out there has a, a uh, very large following in this area, and we're excited to have him on and uh, pick his brain about long-term notes, trustee investing. So uh, let me jump back, though, and we'll hit the legal tip with uh, Lee Chen, an attorney in our Irvine, California office in the law firm. Lee, are you with me? I am, Matt. Great to be on the show again. Yeah, 
Well, good to be here. Um, seems like you're always the tipster when I when I when I got hosting duties. Maybe uh, I don't know. Maybe it's just odds or what. But yeah, happy to have you on here. Luck of the draw. <laughs> luck well, of the draw. Thanks, <laughs> I wanted to talk um, just very generally about um, just planning your estate today. Um, you know, yeah. I <laughs> I sometimes look at some of these, you know, celebrity, um, uh, you know, what goes on with the celebrities and the people with a huge amount of money. And as mm-hmm. um, people people may know, um, last year, um, uh, you know, one of the old Hollywood uh, heavyweights, Lauren Bacall, passed away. Um, mm-hmm. And you know she was one of the you know the old school you know uh, golden years of Hollywood actresses you know married Humphrey Bogart and all that stuff and I started yeah. looking at um, what was going on and and you see this pattern with these types uh, some some people who play, fail to plan their estate um, mm-hmm. uh, you know she had an estate of twenty six million dollars and no trust. Um, yeah. And and so and most of her uh, assets were in, um, you know, uh, uh, real estate in, um, you know, m- memorabilia, jewelry, sculptures. She was a huge mm-hmm. art collector, mm-hmm. and you know, she passed away and didn't plan her estate. And as a result, um, you know, uh, her children are being faced with having to. Um, uh, pretty much sell all of her stuff, you know, all uh, you know, at a at a drop of a hat while they're in bereavement, to be mm-hmm. able to raise the money for uh, for the estate taxes because of the failure to plan. Yeah. So, um, you know, and, and we've seen this type of issue with other celebrities. You know, um, you know, Philip Seymour Hoffman had a similar issue. Um, yeah. And it's just you know, you and I know like, most uh, of any. Any celebrity, it seems like I, I, I'd like to hear a celebrity who actually planned their estate passed away, you know, because it seems like every few months there's one that passes away and there's this mess in their estate and they didn't do anything. And, you know, these people even have financial advisors, people that handle their money. It always, it does always blow my mind. And and it's it just it just serves as a lesson I think that uh, especially you know if you have assets um, any type of you know if you just have your house you know and and it's maybe you bought it a while ago and it's appreciated you know you, you need a trust you know <laughs> if you have kids or anyone you want taken care of you need a trust you know yeah. Um, you know, I, I, I do a lot of, um, uh, you know, disputes between, um, uh, you know, kids after a parent has died. And, uh, you know, a lot of it is because, you know, in the plan, they haven't um, made things very clear. They haven't made uh, things very clear as to who's going to be the ultimate decision maker. And those are not the type of uh, – that's not the type of legacy you want to leave where the kids are fighting over, um, you know, every little thing. I have, uh, you know, a lot of cases like that. And it just yeah. waits money out of the trust estate. It just – everyone loses in well, that situation. Yeah, so this is a uh, – so your tip is don't be like some of these celebrities we hear about and not and fail to plan your estate. I presume that's the uh, that's the point. Um, you know, I I see. I mean, we talk about these celebrities. We all see them, but um, 
You know, it's kind of sad, too, because for all those celebrities, there's a lot of people, you know, our neighbors, family, friends, um, who go through this. And we share them in the law firm, and it's kind of unfortunate because it is more costly and um, you know, causes a lot of fighting and can tear families apart and causes estate tax issues, as Lee mentioned, and and uh, just because there's a failure to plan. So, um well, what, so what should people do? Let's, uh, what's the uh, what are well, the I think, I mean, if you sit up their state and get off the pot and do something. Yeah, and absolutely, and you need to really, um, you know, get a a consult with someone who has experience with this in terms of, you know, I don't care what your plan is, get a plan. Um, you uh-huh. know, in this form, call a state. She had twenty six million. There's going to be a state tax, okay? And generally, you have to file your returns within nine months. So, and, and the estate only had $100,000 in liquid assets. Yeah. So these kids are taking their, their, their memorabilia and their artwork, and they're auctioning off for pennies on the dollar so that they can raise money to pay the tax. And so, so yeah. that's just an example of the planning. And, you know, if you have kids, if you have assets, you know, plan. I mean, it's not that expensive to get a trust done. You know, we, uh, you know, if we do it, you know, we include the consulting to help you. You know, Julie in our office is great. She has a lot of experience in how to, you know, how a lot of people do their planning. And just, you know, it'll be worth it for the, the people who succeed you will appreciate it. Yeah. And I, I think it's just one of those things everybody says, oh, yeah, yeah, I need to do it. But it gets uh, low priority, P- perhaps like the uh, 1099s that Chad was talking about earlier. Um, but, you know, with taxes, someone like, uh, you know, IRS is going to um, not like you and um, start sending stuff in the mail if you're not complying with their deadlines. You know, the estate tax and estate planning is something that happens after you're gone. And I think it, yeah, it's unfortunate because it's a significant thing to take care of but um you know i'd say just uh, uh think about your kids and you know if you got minor children in your house and do you want to go to court and all these issues and um hopefully that can help uh get you to the attorney's office or or somewhere to get this estate plan done and started but um thanks for the tip lee appreciate it anything else any final words on uh on your tip no, not at all. Just, uh, you know, there's a lot of things that you may not be aware of um, that may come up in these consults. And, you know, mm-hmm. if you don't know it, then, and, you know, this, and, and I just wanted to, uh, Lauren Book Hall Estate is really a, a situation where they probably had no idea this was coming. <laughs> and, sure, just, you yeah. know, one simple call could have saved them millions. And I know most of our clients maybe not in that situation, but, you know, Thousands of dollars could be, you know, the same thing to to our clients that millions of dollars are to them. Sure, sure. So, all right. Appreciate the tip. Thanks, Lee. No, anytime, Matt. It's great to be on the show again. All right, great to have you. Okay, well, um, I'm excited to move into the next segment here on this show and to the topic of today's show: how to invest in long-term notes. We have our guest, Bruce Norris who is with us, and I believe he's on the line right now. So let me go ahead and bring Bruce on, and I'll give a little brief introduction here. Um, This is the uh, bio I have for Bruce. So uh, Bruce is an active investor, hard money lender, and real estate educator with over 30 years of experience. 
Bruce has been involved in over 2,000 real estate transactions as a buyer, seller, builder, and money partner. Bruce is best known for his long-term market timing trends, including his California comeback report in 1997 predicting California's real estate boom and his January 2006 release, The California Crash, predicting the foreclosure meltdown. Um, Bruce speaks a lot in the industry. I've heard his name so many times and um, know him a little bit. But, Bruce, are you with me? I am. Thank you All right. for well, having thanks me. For, thanks for being on this show today. I'm excited to um, learn a, bit, a little bit here from you on how to invest in long-term notes. And um, before I get into some of the details, though, maybe you could – Tell us, how did you get into this business of long-term notes, trusted investing, hard money lending? How did you get into that business? How I got into it was a borrower, actually. Um, I was buying wholesale deals and ran out of uh, money and credit line, and I searched mm-hmm. for a, a money source, found Craig Hill working for another company, and showed him what I did, and as a matter of fact, at the time, investors really didn't have sources of money. Uh, hard money loan companies predominantly mm-hmm. did loans to owner-occupants in second position. So I was uh, their first customer that was an investor, and they gradually put up millions of dollars for me and me paying them back all successfully, buying and yeah. selling houses. Okay. And was this in California? It was always in California. Oh, in California. I know that's where you're at now, I just I presume, so Yes. All right. Well, um, can you maybe explain I mean I I wanna kinda bring everyone up to speed at the same level. I realize there's some people on here that have some expertise that you know, are investing in long term notes and trustee notes already or and uh, and I wanna get to some of your expertise to help them too, but um some may not even be familiar with the rules, so I wanna just spend a few minutes kinda understanding what this is and and get everyone on the same page. So uh what would you uh can you explain what a trustee what trustee lending is or hard money lending is? Yeah, there'll be there'll be a few moving parts. So there'll be somebody that's an investor in in the sense that they're an investor buying a property. So our typical okay. client finds something at a discount. There's a two hundred thousand dollar house they've tied up for one thirty they come to us for a loan. We appraise it. Uh, our loan process will say we're going to loan up to 65% of value, but we also will have them have cash into the deal. So someone with a, with cash will be the lender. So there's, if you want to think about, about them for this transaction, they're like the Bank of America. They're uh-huh. going to invest their money and get a monthly payment from the borrower, and we're the broker sandwiched in the middle. We have the contacts that want the money, and we have the contacts that have the money. And so we sit in the middle and earn a commission from the from the borrower, and that's how those transactions go together. The interest rates are high, and uh, what's interesting about the borrower is usually somebody that has great credit, very strong financials, um, but the product that they're borrowing on, lenders that are in the typical lender, they're not interested uh-huh. in. So you've got a house that they're buying at a discount because it doesn't have a kitchen. Well, yeah. most lenders won't look at that. For us, that's the product we, we, we try to find. Okay. Um, now, for someone that's um, 
maybe a real estate investor or is looking to get started in real estate, um, what would someone looking at you know maybe that has some cash perhaps maybe to lend and be a lender versus using that cash to buy their own real estate um, and you know maybe buying a rental? Uh, what would be some of the pros and cons versus going into trustee lending and and, and lending in real estate as opposed to buying a rental? Um, buying a rental was filled with excitement and potentially greater profit. So that's the difference. If you have a trustee that's well-placed and done correctly, it's very boring. You shouldn't have too much excitement. You should get a monthly check, and then you should get paid off someday, and you'll think back and go, wow, that was pretty simple. Uh, You'll probably Uh never have that experience with a rental. (laughs) You won't have that same journey. You will. Yeah, you will know you have a rental at least. Morning. A, I know what you mean. Yeah, you'll have a you'll you'll have some uh, some months where you wish you didn't own rentals, but at the end of the day, usually in California, rewards the owner of the property really well, and that's why we do it. But mm-hmm. there there's two different types of investors. One that owns a property in a rental, um, they're probably more. Of they're more in an aggressive phase of their life, let's say. So that's part of it. Uh, They may be more of a risk taker, where the trustee investor may be saying, you know what, I just want to place, park my money, I'm going to go on a cruise, and I don't want to think about it. And that's the difference. It's one is uh, pretty calm, and the other one can get exciting. That's uh, that would be the main difference. Yeah. Okay. So on the trustee lending, I mean, it's more of a, it's less work, certainly. It's um, might not have a, there's not a huge windfall profit opportunity because you're, you know, your top end is fixed with the interest rate, um, but it's a lot less work. In terms of risk, um, you know, you talked about a 65% to value ratio. Is that pretty common of what you would see in the industry or um, in terms of, you know, how leveraged, um, the property gets and how much debt's on it. That can vary a lot. It depends on the company. There's companies that do 80%, don't require a down payment from the borrower, put your money in second position, don't have a payment uh, that happens every month. It all comes at the end. There's lots of ways to structure mm-hmm. a trustee that's bound to fail. <laughs> so <laughs> it's it's all in the underwriting um and it also it helps a great deal if you understand that you should probably only put your money in a trustee where you yourself understand how to solve the problem if you should end up with the product so let's say that I'm a I'm a trustee investor and I think oh my gosh look at that one it pays 15% and I get real excited and then I find out it's on 10 acres of land in the middle of nowhere and the only way it's ever going to turn into a profit is that land gets split and uh and built out that would give me pause if I was the guy going to write the check for the trustee because I don't really want to try and solve that and may not even know how to mm-hmm. pay me 10% Put me in front of a single-family house at 65%, you know, something that's worth 200. I'm owed 130, and they stop making payments. I know how to fix that, and yeah. almost excited to get a chance to fix it. But to be honest with you, hard money loan companies, by and large, make loans to very, very successful investors that pay every time, 
it's very rare we even have a late payment or a problem. So no one usually makes a loan saying, well, there'll, there'll be no doubt I get that asset someday. That's just not what what's done. But mm-hmm. a novice trustee investor uh, can do two things that hurt them a great deal. One, try to loan their money directly to a client. Uh, mm-hmm. They really should go through a broker because a broker has a known clientele. There's no doubt mm-hmm. that they'll successfully place their money to somebody directly. Uh, there's also uh, no doubt they will have done something wrong. <laughs> and mm-hmm. what they what they did wrong is maybe breach a usury laws. Um, sure. There are borrowers that are very excited that you did that because they have a lawyer that will say, gosh, that was kind of abusive, and there's rules about that. And if you're if you're the person with money and you don't know that stuff, that can be a real problem. Yeah, um, and that's a particular issue for California, which has some um, very interesting uh, usury laws. They also have a broker arranged exception. I know that uh, can be a way to alleviate those, and that obviously right. bodes well in terms of having a broker involved. Um, if I'm a you know, I'm, I'm staying on the lender side here. You know, I've got some money and I want to lend it uh, to another. And, you know, we have a lot of people who use self-directed IRAs, use retirement plan funds, and they're looking to do other things, get out of the stock market, you know. And uh, for those investors, how do they fit in? Can they um, lend on these types of investments? Do you routinely work with self-directed IRA um, lenders? Yes, uh, we do. It's very easy. Um, I have... I have almost all of my money that's in my Roth or my 401k or my defined benefit plan. It's all in trustees. I just mm-hmm. sent off uh, six payoffs this morning to get paid off on loans that are that are getting ready to close out. So it's just, it's yeah. really the same thing. You're just wearing a different hat. Uh, there's yeah. paperwork that gets signed by Pensco for me instead of me signing it. They're signing it. That type of thing. But it's the same mm-hmm. process. It's and it's a it's a it's a very nice vehicle to maybe in in that setting you're really just wanting uh, a calm return and not the excitement of a rental too. So it's a it's a perfect right. place think, to place money. Yeah, I think that's a that's a common. You know, I work with a lot of self-directed retirement plan investors. There's a lot uh, probably listening to the show today. And if you have calls, just um, let me see. I forgot. I apologize. You know, this is a substitute uh, radio show host for the day here, filling in for Mark. But if you have calls, there's the guest call in. You have a question you want to raise to Bruce. Um, the guest call in number is six four six two zero zero four two eight five. Lisa, who's uh, running the board, so to speak, will um, uh, will greet you and let me know, and we can bring you on to ask your question. But um, let me jump on this uh, self-directed IRA topic, though. You know, I think a lot of self-directed IRA investors are those who have saved in a, maybe a company retirement plan over the years, and they have a uh, an amount set up, and they're just um, not excited about the stock market anymore. Or they've had frustrations with it, so uh, they're looking to kind of come out and you know maybe not do a lot of work, but invest it. And I see, I think, trustee lending or um, you know lending to others on their real estate transactions is probably the second or third most most popular form of investment for these investors and I I think it only continues to grow too. I mean, have you over the years the past few years have you seen that area grow in terms of people using self-directed retirement accounts and trustee lending? 
Yes, that's become it's become very popular. Um and it's been a it's been a process actually, you know, all the way back say to ninety five, there people weren't mm-hmm. lending to investors. If you stood in front of a crowd even five years ago and said uh something about a trustee investment, it would just not register. They it wasn't a concept that people were familiar with. Now it's really become much more accepted. So mm-hmm. people are more familiar with it. Uh the problem is to be honest with you, sometimes that little bit of knowledge is very dangerous because they think all things are are equal and they're not. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if somebody's trying to protect themselves, one of the key things is that they should try to be on the trustee themselves. And I don't mean them mm-hmm. individually, but their IRA or whatever. They'd like to be the sole owner of the trustee. When you get into what's called fractionalized trustees, and yeah. let's say they don't work out, you have a lot of moving parts that have to agree on the same uh, solution. Yeah, and do we foreclose or not? Exactly. What attorney do we hire? Yeah, I, I've been down yeah. that road. <laughs> right, and so that's uh, if you only have you to look in the mirror, okay, you can say, okay, well, what do what do I want to do? And it's your money, mm-hmm. and you really need to need to do that. There's a common thing that's, uh, or it's a brand new thing that maybe is going to get more common. And I think people mm-hmm. don't understand what they're signing up for. Uh, have you heard of the of the term crowdfunding? Oh yeah. Okay. Well, crowdfunding. If you read the document, at least in the one that I read, you don't own mm-hmm. a trustee. You're making an unsecured loan to a to a company, and that's uh, very different than owning a trustee. Yeah, so, there can be very different variations of uh, crowdfunding. You know, I mean. The crowdfunding still isn't even legal yet. You know, it's been proposed. The SEC is supposed to have regulations in effect, so technically people can't even do crowdfunding yet. But uh, it's got a lot of hype, and um, it, well, you know, they I are doing funding a, though, right? Well, they should. I mean, it's be. in place. Well, they are. They should funding be. a lot. I know. I know. Well, they <laughs> but that's what be. we're that's, that's what uh, we're trying to warn people about is that don't think that yeah. that's equal to owning your own trustee. It is not. I definitely yeah. There's there's a lot of value to having your name on the paperwork, you know, and uh, absolutely. Um, now let me get into some of the details here. I have some questions that have been coming up in the chat window. I think I sparked some uh, interest on <laughs> talking about California. Um, let me just ask you this, and um, Bruce, are you very familiar with rules outside of California? The question was. How are the rules in California different from other states? And some of these questions have been, you know, I live in California, but should I invest in California? Um, or should I invest my money in other states in terms of, of notes? Um, how are the rules different in California, or what should you know in California versus other states? Um, I have invested in other states, and to be honest with you, nothing out of state is easier than in-state. So. I don't know why you'd want to do that. And maybe it's because somebody's thinking of buying an existing note, and that's a whole different world. What what I've been talking so far is we're originating a loan. I'm looking across the table from the borrower. I know he's an investor. They have a track record. I can look at his financials. There is a whole other world of buying discounted notes that exist. So there's mm-hmm. a first trust deed, and it's against a property, and it sounds great. Okay, gosh, it's in Ohio, and you can buy it at a 50% discount. 
And yeah. you just think, well, look at the yield on that. And then all of a sudden, when you get there, if you ever do go, and a lot of people don't, you find out the house is built in 1907. And in the foreclosure yeah. laws in Ohio, will let you actually get possession of that property in f- three years. So mm. the laws in all 50 states are different. I would I would camp out uh, in the state I'm in, if it happened to be California, because you can learn the rules of engagement and protect yourself much easier. All right. Um, let me get into some thanks for filling these questions. You know, they might come from different areas. I appreciate you uh, filling the questions. Sure. Um, uh, when I'm looking, you know, from the, again, let's say on the lender perspective, I'm looking at a property to invest in. You've talked about, you know, you're looking obviously at the borrower and their credit and making analysis there. Um, you talked about some of the, uh, you know, the loan to value ratios. What are you looking for on a property? I mean, what's a um, you know, what are maybe a couple things that someone's investing in a long-term note uh, that they want to know about the property? Just some quick, basic tips. Uh, I would I wanted to want to know the cash flow that the property is able to produce. I would want to know if it's occupied, and it wouldn't bother me if it wasn't occupied. But then I would really look at the stability of the borrower and look at their reserves. So. Mm-hmm. Hard money lending is much more about common sense than it is a FICO score. So somebody sits yeah. in front of me and they have a 680 FICO score and they have $500,000 in the bank, and that balance is pretty consistent. They fixed 100 homes in their life, and they're putting down $50,000, and I'm loaning them 200 on a 350 house. All of a sudden, I feel good. Yeah. Yeah. And that's So it's really a common sense loan. And you really put yourself in the position of saying, okay, am I likely to get paid monthly? The answer is absolutely yes. Do I have a successful outcome even if I don't get paid monthly? And the answer is yes as well. So you have to have all those answers. But what you, the loan you wouldn't do would be the guy with the 780 FICO score, the same deal, mm-hmm. and $2,000 in the bank. Because there's always problems. There's always situations. Mm-hmm. And so we say no to that guy all the time. Perfect FICA score, he can't understand why we can't put up 100% of the money for his purchase and his rehab. Yeah. Because literally we've now become a partner with more risk than he has. Mm-hmm. We really want it to hurt when somebody doesn't come through. And uh, yeah. that's the mistake that most people that are trying to put their money out, you know, they get gosh, I'm not getting any yield, so let me shove it out in the marketplace, and you'll shove it in the wrong hole <laughs> mm-hmm. if you don't know yeah. how to be careful. Um, in terms of the appraisals, um, i got a question emailed to me. By the way, you can also email me questions at matt, M-A-T, at kkoslawyers.com. If you email them to Mark, sorry, just direct them to me, matt, M-A-T, at kkoslawyers.com. Um, there's a question about um, uh, are you doing full-blown appraisals? Are you doing broker price opinions uh, on going to Zillow? I mean, what level of analysis should somebody be undertaking in terms of the value of a property uh, when, when well, making a long-term note? Again, what, what we do, full-blown appraisals, and the, our, our appraiser probably has himself bought 500 houses. Mm-hmm. So he has experience. When he looks at a house, it's through it's really through a very trained set of eyes. So I would say 
couple times a month, we might even get to the stage where he goes out and appraises it and then calls us back and says, you know, you don't want to do this loan, and here's why. And it's because yeah. there were things that showed up when he was there that he couldn't see on uh, documentation other than, you know, a lot of times people, and I understand the concern, well, I, I saw the picture on Google Earth and I appraised it yeah. through some other automated method, and here you go. No, we have to have eyes that are experienced look at it because locations matter. You know, it looks like, oh, there's, you know, it's worth 300 but then you find that yours is next to the county garbage dump uh, and the freeway off-ramp basically crosses your driveway. Well, <laughs> that's a problem. Mm -hmm. And with yeah. experience, you look at that and go, okay, well, I'll just, I'll not do that loan because he's going to have a hard time selling that or renting it. And that's, mm -hmm. that's with experience, you start to hone in on some of those things. What's also interesting yeah. is that when you're doing when you're doing loans, um, like we'll we, we'll do certain loans to some people because it's their expertise. Somebody comes mm -hmm. in and says, "Okay, this house has mold." Well, if this is their first mold venture, we'll we'll pass. Okay, yeah. if this is their niche and this is what they do is they they resolve mold problems and we know they know how to do it. Okay, mm -hmm. uh, you know they may have more of a down payment or something, but in other words, we will do that because we know they know. But mm -hmm. what does happen, and it happens to a lot of new private money, is they will make that loan on somebody's first venture into something that's pretty difficult. So you'll mm -hmm. see somebody that's you know trying to get their money to work, and okay, they they lend two hundred grand, but oh my goodness, the house has a foundation problem. Okay, mm -hmm. that's not a big deal if you fixed a bunch of foundations, but it is if you haven't. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. These niches can come up to bite people because if they end up having to foreclose on them, they now have to invent the wheel. It's usually yeah. pretty expensive the first time you try to do that. Yeah. Um, I got a live caller here that has a question we're going to bring on the air. Um, looks like we have Mike who has a question about um, fractional investors in real estate notes, um, advantages, disadvantages. So, uh, Mike, are you here? Okay. Let me try and find Mike here. Hi. Hello? Mike, go ahead with your question. We can hear you. Go ahead. Thank you for putting me on. Uh, Bruce, you, uh, you, just mentioned a, you just mentioned a few minutes ago about um, fractional investors in uh, real estate notes. And yes. I'm, particularly interested, I'm particularly interested in putting some of my money to work in um, – maybe with your company or another company in in uh, real estate notes like first or seconds. Uh, but I I understood you were saying that uh, there was a, uh, uh, you know, a disadvantage in not putting your money, uh, excuse me, putting your name on the note itself. And I think I understand that. But I was talking to someone in your company recently, and I think they were saying that's all your company's doing now is doing fractional notes. And I was, I was trying no. to resolve that problem. No, we don't do any fractional notes, first of all. We, we, there's a big difference. If you were going to put together a lot of, a lot of companies put together a fund, okay, that, that isn't a fractional note. It's, a, it's a, uh, an investment where you would have a fraction of, let's say, an LLC who would completely own the note and have control of the note. Most hard money loan, loan companies do that loan, okay? So that's a different thing than, than owning a fractionalized note. What 
what specifically is a fractionalized note, and I think you already know that, is when you and I go together and we share uh, interest in the note, if it was two people that knew each other, maybe it would work. The trouble is usually it's 10 people that don't know each other. The other thing that uh, is in place now in why we really have gone away from the fund and decided just to do what we've always done is there there are requirements that you have to have a certain net worth to invest in trustees and so uh typically people that are wanting to invest in fractionalized pieces of notes don't have the net worth that would make it even legal for them to do it so we were definitely going down the path of uh, doing a fund um but we realized at the end of the day it wasn't where we wanted to go but uh but it's that's not a fractionalized trust deed that's an interest in an LLC and do you understand the difference well not not until you just explained it i to me uh, either you have your name or right and and it sounds at the like end of the day hybrid. right in a way it is so that's why we decided to go back to uh, and we never did the the group thing. We we really got close to it. We really thought we were going to do it, uh, and then realized uh, we basically are more comfortable with the with the old fashioned way. So that's just that was a personal company choice. We've we've done it that way for 20 years, and I, and we're going to continue to do that. But that's not you- a that's not a fractionalized interest in the note. And here's why there's a difference. If I'm a if I'm in charge of a, a uh, if I'm the general partner of a limited partnership that invests, invests in a note, the limited partnership owns 100% of that note and has one decision maker, me, on what to do with the problem. And that's yes. so that's the safety of the of the limited partnership. If the general partner is in fact knowledgeable and knows what he's doing, they're they're in good hands. Okay. Well, I I'm glad I appreciate to hear the question. Glad to hear you're going back you... to the old-fashioned way. <laughs> Me too, actually. <laughs> okay, thank you. All right. Appreciate you calling in. Thanks, Mike. Um, all right. I do, I thank you. I do have some other questions um, flooding in here, but let me. Um, I'll come to those in just a few minutes. Um, Bruce, let me just ask in terms of the investor side or borrower side. Um, you know, we obviously have lots of real estate investor clients, many of who have done deals before, what should they expect, you know, when they're talking to a company like yours, they're looking for money on a deal, um, what should they expect in terms of rates and terms and, you know, what, what are you guys looking for from them? Um, you know, we're looking for somebody that's pretty experienced that we we know we're going to get paid monthly and get paid back. Um, mm-hmm. So... For on their side, what they should be looking for is to basically adopt a team that has expertise that extends becomes part of their team. Uh, to me, that's mm-hmm. that's really an important piece of when people borrow money here. There's so much experience here, so there's a new layer of protection. To be honest with you, they they found what they think is a good deal, and I my door is next to Craig's door every day. He talked somebody out of the deal they were just about to buy, <laughs> and it's because yeah. it wouldn't have worked out. And who wants to watch that? We don't. We don't need a commission check that bad. Mm-hmm. So that's mm-hmm. the thing about having an experienced lender is you start 
you you almost are devil's advocate. You know, somebody calls up and says, "Well, you know, I I, I got a great buy in this three hundred thousand dollar house. I'm buying it for two eighty. Okay, well, how's that going to work out for you? Yeah, well, we could make you a two hundred grand loan. You're going to have eighty thousand dollars in it, and when you have closing costs and no repairs, you're still going to lose ten grand. So tell me what your strategy is here. You know, I and so. Five minutes later, he hangs up the phone. We lose another loan, but we gain a client for life. You know, that's, I guess that's one of the goals is when you're dealing with an experienced lender, you really are having an additional partner that's got your best interest at heart. And, and be honest, it's also in our best interest. We don't want to put money in a loan that we know won't work because then, okay, the payments stop. Now we have to explain to an investor why they're not getting their monthly payment, and, and we get to go through the excitement of a foreclosure. No one mm-hmm. in, invests in trustees for that. They just want the mm-hmm. check. Yeah. Are you looking, um, I mean, is it typically long-term, like buy-and-hold type properties or properties that are going to be flipped? Um, what what are both. you guys looking for? It's kind of, both. Uh, and what and are, it's, it's from the same person, too. In other words, you have some, uh, let's say an investor that, has a buy-sell business, maybe one every five, he says, well, I'd really like to keep that. So it really isn't uh, an either-or situation. It's both Mm -hmm. from the same guy. Okay. In terms of like a typical rate and term, maybe on a buy-and-hold property, um, what what are you – what are the typical rate, term, you know, length of loan type structure that you have? The most common you uh, would see. Just to give people a general idea. Yeah, 9.9% uh, where the servicing, when we service a loan, we charge 0.9, so the 9% would be the yield uh, on the trustee to the investor of the trustee. We would charge mm-hmm. the borrower two points and some closing costs, and we would end up writing that loan for five years with a one-year prepay penalty. Okay? So okay. that would be the the long-term program. On the short-term pro- program, program where we're going to get paid off, that's probably going to be at 11.9%, and that's for one year or less with no prepayment penalty, with 11% going to the trustee investor. Okay. If, if you're um, on the well, borrowing I, side, by the way, yeah. if you're on the borrowing side, and I've been there times in early in my career, uh, the cost is secondary to knowing the money will show up. There's There's nothing worse than uh, having a great deal go unfunded because somebody promised you they could get the money and then they didn't. Yeah. So it, yeah. all of a sudden the fees don't matter if the if the reliability is there. You And that's what you really want to end up with is a very reliable money source you can count on. Yeah. Um, now, you're also, I, I understand, um, for borrowers that may be an IRA or someone with an IRA LLC buying a rental property or buying real estate, you also have a non-recourse loan program or, and have non-recourse loans? Yes, for somebody wanting to buy and hold it or buy and flip in an IRA, yep. Um, okay. No big deal to us because it seems like we're, we would never chase somebody's assets anyway. You know, yeah, you'd take the property anyway. <laughs> yeah, I would take the property. So I, I always find it interesting. Yeah. It's that the loan is so hard to come by, and yet it seems to me so obviously fine yeah. to do because there's it's the same exact risk. You chase the asset, big deal. 
Yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, that's a, another area we see a lot of growth in. And there are a couple banks that get into it, but, um, you know, it's nice to have a, a private money source. And I didn't even know about that until I was going through your website trying to make sure I got your bio. So that was uh, um, very good to hear. Um, well, as we have, we're winding down in the final minutes here. I just wanted to maybe talk, see if you could give us an update on what's new. I know you've been out speaking a bit in terms of the California real estate market in particular. That's that's your area of expertise. Um, as we only have a few minutes here, but any uh, insight on what you're seeing in the California real estate market in general and, and maybe an update there? Yeah, I, I honestly think that we'll just see gradual improvement this year. I don't think it's going to be one of those lights-out years where everything booms and we're so excited that we uh, bought something because it's exploded. Yeah. It looks like interest rates are going to remain very favorable and maybe even go down, which is a little astonishing at these rates. Um, it looks like building will improve a little, unemployment will improve a little. So all the things that matter will improve a little, and uh, we'll probably end 2015 higher and better than we had in the end of 20, 2014. So I guess it'll be a safe year. That's the best way I can put it. Yeah. Okay, well, thanks so much, Bruce, for taking the time to come on the show. Um, for those of you that I didn't get your questions, I'll try and respond or maybe reach out to Bruce if I if I need help on responding to your questions. Uh, Bruce, again, appreciate it. Uh, what's your contact info and maybe your, your website? People can get more information about you and your business. Yeah, that's the best thing to do is just go to the website, thenorrisgroup.com, T-H-E-N-O-R-R-I-S group.com. All right, and we'll put that in the chat window as well. Um, thanks once again, Bruce, for being on. Uh, Mark will be back next week for the next episode of the Mark Kohler Show. So tune in. It'll be the same time, same channel, same number. And uh, thanks for uh, being with me today, and I appreciate Bruce again for being on. Thanks, everyone. My pleasure. Thank you.